السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما Last time we read that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when he heard that the woman who used to clean the masjid that she passed away and she had already been buried he went to her grave and he also prayed for her over there there were some questions about it so just a few things about this issue first of all remember that there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars about performing salatul janaza for the one who has passed away in your absence meaning they are far from you okay so basically ghaib of absentia so if a person died in another country in a different city and then you find out they passed away so can you pray salatul janaza when the dead body is not present before you so basically the question is can you pray salatul janaza when the dead body is not before you hmm? so remember there is ikhtilaf some scholars permitted this and others did not permit this why because we see that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam only did this for who an najashi he didn't do this for anybody else likewise the muslims at that time the sahaba they did not do this for anybody else when the khulafa when they passed away their salatul janaza was not performed all over the muslim empire meaning it was only performed where they had passed away so this is one thing that i'd like you to remember secondly if a person they passed away their janaza was performed but you missed it you missed it you were not able to perform salatul janaza can you perform it later on yourself like i mentioned that when you visit the grave you can perform salatul janaza over there Okay, you can because the Prophet ﷺ, when he went to the grave, he didn't just stand there, but he salla, he prayed for that woman, and this can be understood as that he prayed salatul janaza, so it can be performed. But remember, there is difference of opinion when it comes to repeating the janaza. So, for example, salatul janaza was performed. A person went to the masjid, performed salatul janaza, could not go for the burial. Next day, he goes to visit the grave. Okay, now can he perform salatul janaza again? There is a difference of opinion. Some said yes, and others said no, because this was not the habit of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and also he did not do it. The only reason why he prayed for her by the grave was because he could not pray earlier. Okay, so some allowed repeating the janaza, and others said that no. And if you think about it, if you consider both the opinions, what seems to be more appropriate? that you perform salatul janaza once and afterwards what do you do you do what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught which is that you just make dua for the deceased person and that's the best thing that you can do also one more thing that if a person missed the janaza like in this case the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not perform salatul janaza with the rest of the people now after how long can you perform janaza if you wish to do that by the grave how long within a few days because we see that it was after a few days the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam noticed she was missing it wasn't after a year after 5 years so this is why some scholars put a time limit and they said within a month or less within a month or less so for example somebody passed away you missed their janaza okay and a man he goes to the graveyard okay and over there he wishes to perform salatul janaza he can do that if the death was just let's say a week ago it was only 2 or 3 days ago then in that case it's permissible but if he's visiting after 6 months after 1 year 
and then he wishes to pray Salatul Janazah? No. That's not appropriate. Because you see, Salatul Janazah is something that should be performed once, not again and again and again. So it's supposed to be performed once. You missed it. So within some time, a week, two weeks, maximum one month, you can perform it. But if you perform after six months, after 40 days, then so many bid'at come in. Right? That people want to celebrate literally the death of the dead person. Right? They're not accepting it, they're not moving on. So this leads to many wrong things. What we learn from the sunnah is what? Deceased is there, salatul janazah is performed. If you miss that, you perform by the grave within a few days. And afterwards, what do you do? Just dua. This I clarified earlier, that there's different kinds of salah at the graveyard. One is to the one in the grave, that's forbidden completely because it's shirk. The other is salah to Allah for the person in the grave. So salatul janazah at the graveyard. And that is permissible. And other salawat, when it comes to fard prayer, nafil prayer, whatever, it's better to avoid that. Okay, let's continue. Bab 78. Bab, idkhal al-ba'id fil masjidi lil-illah. Idkhal al-ba'id. Entering a camel. Where? Fil masjid, in the masjid. Why? Lil-illah, for a reason. Meaning, when there is a genuine reason, and remember, illah over here doesn't necessarily mean illness or sickness, but it means reason. So when there is a genuine reason, it is permissible for a person to bring in their camel into the masjid. Now there is no clear instruction concerning this matter, whether it's halal or haram. Why? Because people have to use their common sense, right? It depends on the situation, depends on the masjid, depends on the reason. But we see that when there is a good reason to bring in the camel into the masjid, then a person may do that. And camel at that time was what? A means of transportation. So likewise, if a person is coming on a bicycle, and they're afraid that if they leave their bicycle outside, somebody's going to take it. So they take it into the masjid, and the masjid is such, that's not carpeted, or you know, the flooring is such that, that if the bicycle is brought inside, nothing will happen, I mean the masjid will not get dirty, then there is no harm. When there is a good reason, illah. Likewise, in a masjid, bringing in strollers, okay, is not generally okay. Why? Because people are going to be you know, annoyed because of them. I mean, imagine if there's a stroller in the middle of the masjid, the side of the masjid, and besides there are wheels and people are doing sajda on that carpet. So it's better to avoid that. But in a case where, let's say, there's a woman who has a child who is disabled. I mean, she cannot take that child out of that stroller, nor can she leave the child behind, and nor can she leave the masjid completely. I mean, she wants to come as well. So in her case, it's understandable. So, idkhal al-ba'idi fil masjidi lil When there is a good reason, it is permissible. وقال ابن عباس and ابن عباس رضي الله عنه said, طاف النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم على بعيد. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم performed tawaf on a ba'id. Where was this tawaf? Obviously around the Kaaba, Masjid al-Haram. So, if he did tawaf on a camel in Masjid al-Haram, that means camels can be brought into that masjid. If camels can be brought into that masjid, they can be brought in. Any masjid. When there is a reason. And just like that, if there is a reason, a person has to sit on a wheelchair to perform their tawaf, to go into the masjid, that is also permissible. Haddathana Abdullah ibn Yusuf qala akhbarana malikun an Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman ibn Nawfal an Urwata an Zainaba binti Abi Salama an Ummi Salama qalat she said, shakawtu ila Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam she said, Ummu Salama, that I complained to the Prophet ﷺ, Anni ashtaki, that I am complaining, meaning in my body that I am unwell. She was sick. 
قال so he said طوفي perform طواف من وراء الناس from behind the people وأنتي راكبة while you are riding so he told her that you can do طواف on your camel but make sure that you are behind the people who are walking فطفت so I performed my طواف ورسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم and the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي he was performing صلاه إلى جنب البيت to the side of the house meaning on the side of the Kaaba يقرأ بالطور وكتاب مستور and he was reciting Surah At-Tur so Umm Salama she was allowed to perform tawaf on her camel and she did that and a special instruction was given that she should be behind the rest of the people why behind the rest of the people you know imagine there's a group of people performing tawaf together and she is behind that group why because she's a woman not necessarily huh Exactly. Imagine if the camel is walking amongst people. Hmm? People can get hurt. And obviously it would be annoying for them as well. That many times it happens that people, they take their wheelchairs into the crowd of people. And many times people get hurt. There can be serious injuries. There are certain pathways now that they've made. And even the second floor wheelchairs are only allowed over there. But even then a person must be careful within the masjid that if there's a group of people, don't go right into them, but rather stay behind. And this also teaches us that in the masjid, if a person has to bring in a wheelchair, then where should they be? Towards the side, not in the middle. Why? Because imagine a person who is praying behind them. Hmm? If they're in the middle of the saf and there are people praying behind them, as they're doing sajda, they're next to a wheel. They could get hurt even because of that. So, care must be taken. Even when it comes to chairs, chairs should not be placed right in the middle. Just recently, it happened that I was praying next to a sister who was standing right behind a chair. She came there first, and the lady brought the chair afterwards. And she placed the chair right on her purse. Now, the sister who was standing next to me, first of all, she's expecting. So, it was difficult for her to pray in such a congested spot. And then on top of that, her purse, it broke. You know, it just snapped off. I mean, it's only a bag, but still, it's difficult for people. So, we have to take care of these matters. And when you do see somebody doing something like this, don't just ignore them. Amr bil ma'roof, nahir al-munkar is our responsibility. And it can be done in a gentle manner, in a nice manner. So, this is something that we should pay attention to, inshallah. The rest of the people, they were doing tawaf and he was performing salah. But Quran can also be recited during tawaf. On the side of the saw. So help them say, May I take your chair onto the side? Because if somebody's standing behind you, they could get hurt. Yeah, in a nice way. Yeah, but they should start from the side. Bab. حدثنا محمد بن المثنى قال حدثنا معاذ بن هشام قال حدثني أبي عن قتادة قال حدثنا أنس أن رجلين that two men من أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم from the companions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم خرجا they both came out من عند النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم meaning from his presence في ليلة مظلمة in a dark night ومعهما and with them too مثل Similar to Al-Misbahaini, two lamps. Yudhi'ani, that were lighting the way, Bayna Aidihima, before them. So when they exited, what happened? There were like two lamps or two lights that were right in front of them. And they were lighting the way for them. 
they both separated, meaning they went off together and then they both went their own ways. Sara, it went with each one of them too. Wahidun one, meaning one light, hatta until ata ahlahu, he came to his house, meaning until he reached home, that light was before him, guiding him as to where he was going. Now this hadith, it basically shows a miracle of the Prophet ﷺ because they were with him and when they left, the light was before. It could also be, you can say, a karama of these two companions of the Prophet ﷺ. And obviously, this was a gift from Allah. Yes, we are amazed by who they were because you know they had to be someone special for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, such help to be with them. But at the end of the day, it shows to us the greatness of Allah. But we see here that this hadith... It's not directly linked with the bab before. Okay, there's no direct connection. Scholars have said that it seems that Imam Bukhari did not write the chapter heading out of forgetfulness. That perhaps he forgot to write it. And obviously he was a human being. It's understandable. And they suggested that perhaps what he meant to prove through this hadith was the virtue of going to the masjid. The virtue of going to the masjid to pray, even in darkness. Because these companions, they stayed in the masjid on a dark night. Waiting for what? Waiting for Salatul Isha. And it seems that they came from far. Right? It seems that they came from far. But they still made a point to go to the masjid, even though it was very, very dark. And they prayed Isha. They stayed in the company of the Prophet ﷺ. And then they went home. And when they went, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent these two lights before them to guide them in their way. It is said that these two companions were Usaid bin Hubayr and Abad bin Bishr. That in this is great encouragement for men to go to the masjid for Isha, even if it's dark. Obviously it's dark at that time. And alhamdulillah, we have so many lights in the car, outside the car, all the way to the masjid. But sometimes you can say difficult. And sometimes it can get late as well, especially in the summer. And cold in the winter and very late in the night in the summer. Because many times it happens that by the time men return from Isha, it's after 11, 11.30. Right? Close to midnight by the time they get home. And obviously it affects their sleep, it affects their day, it affects their work. But we see that this is a greatly virtuous deed. That when there is a power outage, everybody just stays home, nobody goes out because it's too dark. But this is the time when you go. She mentioned that once she saw a woman and there was some light by her and she said that, what is this light? She said, you see it too? And she said, yes, I see it. She said, yeah, I always see it. I read Ayatul Kursi and then I, I see it. So regularly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is a source of light. Not just in this dunya, but in the hereafter as well. Nuruhum yas'a bayna aydihim wa bi aymanihim. Bab al-khawkhati wal-mamarri fil-masjid. Al-khawkha. Khawkha, a small door. It's also used for a skylight. Okay, so a small window, a small door. It's also used for an alley, a small alley connecting two streets. So al-khawkha wal-mamarri. Mamar, pathway. Place of murur, so pathway. Fil masjid in the masjid. Meaning, can there be a small door of somebody's house opening inside the masjid? Because these days obviously you have separate, separate buildings, right? But before, people had walls that they shared. So, 
if somebody's house is right next to the masjid, can they have a door from their house leading straight into the masjid? Is that permissible? Yes, it is. And mamarri fil masjid, pathway through the masjid. If somebody's house is right next to the masjid, their main door opens to the masjid or a side door opens to the masjid and there's a pathway that leads them out of the masjid to the rest of the city. Is that permissible? Yes, it is. Haddathana Muhammad ibn Sinanin قال حدثنا فليح قال حدثنا أبو النضر عن عبيد بن حنين عن بسر بن سعيد عن أبي سعيد الخدري قال he said خطب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he gave a sermon he addressed the people فقال so he said إن الله indeed Allah خير he gave a choice عبدا to a servant بين الدنيا between this world وَبَيْنَ and between مَا عِنْدَهُ that which is with him. That Allah has given a choice to a servant. That either he can choose the world or he can choose that which is with Allah. فَاخْتَارَ So he chose, meaning that servant, he chose مَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ that which is with Allah. The Prophet ﷺ when he said this, فَبَكَى أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ So Abu Bakr, he wept. رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ فَقُلْتُ So I said, who? The narrator. He said that I thought to myself, فَقُلْتُ فِي نَفْسِي I thought to myself, I said to myself, مَا يُبْكِي What is making him cry? هَذَا الشَّيْخِ This old man. Meaning, why is this old man crying? إِنْ يَكُنِ اللَّهُ If Allah has خَيَّرَ عَبْدًا If Allah has given a choice to a servant بَيْنَ الدُّنْيَا وَبَيْنَ مَا عِنْدَهُ Between the world and between that which is with him فَاخْتَارَ مَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ So if he chose that with Allah, what's the big deal? Meaning, why is Abu Bakr crying? He didn't understand. So, فَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ So, the Messenger of Allah, صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ He was هُوَ الْعَبْدُ He was that servant. وَكَانَ أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ And Abu Bakr رَضِي اللَّهُ عَنْهُ He was أَعْلَامَنَا Most knowledgeable of us. This is why he understood. That basically the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ is hinting towards his death. That because the Prophets are given a choice at the time of their death, whether they would like to live on or they would choose to die. So the Prophet ﷺ had been presented that option already. So he chose to die. He chose to go to Allah. So basically he was indicating that his death was very near. It was going to be very soon. So Abu Bakr ﷺ, he understood. This is why they said, وَكَانَ أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ أَعْلَمَنَا Most knowledgeable of us. قَالَ The Prophet ﷺ, he said, يَا أَبَا بَكْرٍ O Abu Bakr, لَا تَبْكِي Don't cry. إِنَّ indeed amanna. Amanna from man. What does man mean? Favor. Amanna, the one who has shown most favor. Of who? An-nasi, of all people, alayya to me. Fi suhbatihi, in his companionship. Wa malihi, and in his wealth, is who? Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr. That Abu Bakr has shown the most favor to me. From all people. With regards to himself, and also with regards to his wealth. Meaning he has spent the most on me, and he has also given me his companionship. Think about it. He was with him in the journey of Hijrah, which was a very, very dangerous journey. وَلَوْ كُنْتُ And if I were to, مُتَّخِذًا If I were to take خَلِيلًا A close friend مِنْ أُمَّتِي From my ummah, لَتَّخَذْتُ أَبَا بَكْرٍ Surely I would have taken Abu Bakr. وَلَكِنْ بَجْ أُخُوَّةُ الْإِسْلَامِ وَمَوَدَّتُهُ But it is the friendship of Islam and 
its love, meaning the love that we have developed, the friendship that we have developed through Islam. This brotherhood basically, this is between myself and Abu Bakr. But Khalil is who? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, لَا يَبْقَيَنَّ It should not remain fil masjid in the masjid, bab any door, illa except sudda, it should be closed. Because at that time there were many doors that opened up to the masjid. Because many houses were around the masjid, and all of them, their doors opened to the masjid. The Prophet ﷺ said, none of these doors should remain except that they should be closed, illa except bab the door of Abi Bakr, of Abu Bakr anhu. The next hadith is similar. حدثنا عبد الله بن محمد الجعفي قال حدثنا وهب بن الجرير قال حدثنا أبي قال هيسات سمعت يعلى بن حكيم عن إكرمة عن ابن عباس ابن عباس قال هيسات خرج رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم came out في مرضه in his illness الذي that which مات فيه in which he died so this happened very close to his death he came out to the people, عَاصِبٌ tying رَأْسَهُ his head بِخِرْقَةٍ with a piece of cloth. So with a cloth bandage or a piece of cloth, basically he tied it around his head. Why do you think so? Headache or fever, right? He was extremely ill near his death. So because of that reason, he had tied a piece of cloth around his head. فَقَعْدَ عَلَى الْمِنْبَرِ And then he sat on the minbar. فَحَمِدَ اللَّهَ Then he praised Allah. وَأَثْنَى عَلَيْهِ and he glorified him. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, إِنَّهُ Indeed he لَيْسَ مِنَ النَّاسِ There is none from the people. أَحَدٌ Anyone أَمَنَّ عَلَيَّ Who has been more generous to me فِي نَفْسِهِ In himself وَمَالِهِ And his wealth مِنْ أَبِي بَكْرِ بْنِ أَبِي قُحَافَ Then Abu Bakr ibn Abi Quhafa. وَلَوْ كُنْتُ مُتَّخِذًا مِنَ النَّاسِ خَلِيلًا If I were to take a close friend from the people, لَاتَّخَذْتُ أَبَا بَكْرٍ خَلِيلًا I would have taken Abu Bakr as Khalil. وَلَكِنْ خُلَّةُ الْإِسْلَامِ أَفْضَلْ But the friendship of Islam, that is better. سُدُّوا عَنِّي He said, close from me. كُلَّ خَوْخَةٍ Every door في هذا المسجد, in this masjid, غير خَوْخَةِ أَبُو بَكْرٍ Except for the door of Abu Bakr So both of these ahadith, what do they show to us? It shows the virtue of Abu Bakr His fadl over the rest of the companions, all the companions. That he was someone who was given the highest status amongst them. Because look at the way the Prophet ﷺ praises him. First of all, in front of him. And secondly, on the minbar. And thirdly, before so many people. He's addressing the people and then he praises Abu Bakr in front of everybody. And how does he praise him? Looking at both of these narrations, we see that there is affirmation and negation. Affirmation how? In the first hadith, he said, In the second one, There is none from the people who has been more generous to me than him. So this shows how much he praised him. And then he said, close all the doors except the door of Abu Bakr. That so much balance we see here. That on the one hand, he's praising Abu Bakr, thanking him. But at the same time, that highest level of friendship is only for Allah. Because وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبَّ لِلَّهِ That the fact that the Prophet ﷺ said, close all the doors except the door of Abu Bakr. What does that mean? That only Abu Bakr should have direct access to the masjid. Why? Because he was going to be the Khalifa of the Prophet ﷺ. And a leader... He has to be at the masjid because he has to lead people. 
and he has to be available to the people. So he has to have direct access to the masjid, just like the Prophet ﷺ had. So in this is a clear indication that Abu Bakr was to lead the people after the Prophet ﷺ. It's a clear evidence that how Abu Bakr ﷺ, he was generous to the Prophet ﷺ, how? With his nafs and also with his mal. And this is how a person needs to show his love for the Prophet ﷺ with his nafs and his mal. Nafs for us, even in following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. It's a great sacrifice of the nafs. You know, sometimes it's just more convenient to just drink with the left hand or just more convenient to just stand and drink or eat or whatever that you're doing. But to take that effort and switch hands and sit down and drink in three sips, that requires sacrifice of the nafs. But that is what will prove your love for the Prophet ﷺ. Spending money in this way as well. And also we see the Prophet ﷺ's great character in how he acknowledged the generosity of Abu Bakr. His kindness, his generosity, his help, his support, and how he thanked him. Because many times it happens that other people's generosity, good behavior is not even acknowledged. But he acknowledged it publicly in front of everybody. And Abu Bakr was crying over there. So he was, you know, in a way comforting him as well, thanking him at that time. Bab al-abwabi wal-ghalaqi lil-ka'bati wal-masajid Al-abwab, doors, wal-ghalaq and locks. Ghalaq, wa-ghalaqat al-abwab. She locked the doors. Hmm? So ghalaq, locks, lil-ka'ba for the ka'ba wal-masajid and other mosques. Meaning, is it permissible to have doors to the masajid? Such doors that can be closed so that people cannot go inside anymore. So can the doors be closed? And moreover, can the doors be locked? Yes. Because this is the case with the Kaaba. The Kaaba has a door and that door is closed most of the time. And when it's closed, it's also locked. And we learned that when the Prophet ﷺ went inside the Kaaba, the door was closed. He had the door closed, inshallah, as we will learn. So... It is permissible to close the doors of the masjid because sometimes people get very offended that why are you locking the masjid and why are you closing the doors of the masjid? People should have access to the masjid all the time. But there is many reasons behind that. First of all, security of the masjid, safety for the masjid. And secondly, obviously if there is a masjid and there is people who are required to be present at the masjid to facilitate the activities that are going on over there, and if the doors of the masjid are open all the time, that means people have to be present all the time. Some staff have to be present, and that's not fair. They eventually have to go home as well. So whatever time has been set, at that time, the masjid can be closed. It may be closed. It may be locked. There is absolutely no harm in this. This does not come in sad an sabilillah, Stopping people from the way of Allah. Because at the time when the masjid is needed for salah, for ta'aleem, then the masjid is opened up. But when it's not needed for that purpose, and the masjid will be closed. She's mentioning that once some boys, they started staying at a musalla, they started sleeping over there too, staying over there, because they didn't want to pay rent where they were staying, so they just moved from there into the musalla. They thought it's free, who's going to charge us? There is no problem. But then the police had to come and have them vacate the place. باب الأبواب والغلق للكعبة والمساجد قال أبو عبد الله أبو عبد الله سر وقال لي عبد الله بن محمد حدثنا سفيان عن ابن جريج قال قال لي ابن أبي مليكة يسر يا عبد الملك لو رأيت مساجد ابن عباس وأبوابها 
If only you could see Masajid, the mosques of Ibn Abbas, Ibn Abbas, وَأَبْوَابَهَا and their doors. So what does it show? That they had, Masajid had doors. So it's permissible to have doors. And why is he saying this? If only you had seen those Masajid, meaning you would be amazed by the way they were constructed and by the way they were maintained, how clean they were, how neat they were, how well maintained they were. And obviously that can only be done if the masajid are closed when they're not needed. right? Because if they're open all the time, then there is heavy traffic all the time. And what happens when a guardian is not present? It's misused. So a masjid can only be in good shape when it's open at a time when there are some people to look after it. So he's praising the masjid. And masajid of Ibn Abbas, which masajid are these? Either it's the masajid which he had built or he performed salah over there. There is a masjid in At-Taif, in the city of Taif, by the name of Masjid Ibn Abbas. Have you heard of it? If you get the opportunity, then do go and visit that masjid. It is very beautiful, mashallah. It is said that he performed salah over there, he stayed there, he taught there, and it is also said that he may have been buried over there. But Allahu A'lam. But anyway, whatever the case was, the masjid was, or the masajid were, in very good condition, and they also had doors. I remember the first time I was in Medina and I saw that after Isha, the doors of the masjid were being closed. People were being sent out and the doors were being closed. I was so shocked. That how and why are they doing this? Because, especially when you come from Makkah, because Karba, Masjid al-Haram is always open. Given that, it's not just a place for prayer, but it's a place you know, for Umrah. People come and perform Umrah over there and that happens throughout the day and the night. So, all of a sudden, seeing the doors of the Masjid al-Nabwi closing seems really strange. But it makes sense. It makes sense now. Because if they were left open all the time, imagine the state of that Masjid. And imagine the kind of bid'ah that would be happening. I mean, already there's so much bid'ah that people do there, despite the efforts of the knowledgeable people over there. Imagine, if there was no supervision, what would happen? حدثنا أبو النعمان وقتيبة قالا حدثنا حماد عن أيوب عن نافع عن ابن عمر أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قدم مكة that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he came to Mecca فدعا عثمان بن طلحة and he called عثمان ابن طلحة who was he? yes the keeper of the key of the Kaaba so he called him why? to open the door of the Kaaba فَفَتَحَ الْبَابَ So he opened the door. فَدَخَلَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ See how the Prophet ﷺ followed the procedure, the protocol. Even though he was coming in as a conqueror, he didn't break the door. No, not at all. Because it is the Kaaba. He had the person come in and asked him to open the door. Because ultimately, this man who possessed the key of the Kaaba, he had the choice to open the door for somebody or not. So the Prophet ﷺ asked him to open the door and he did. And then the Prophet ﷺ entered, وَبِلَالٌ and Bilal وَأُسَامَ ibn Zayd وَعُثْمَانُ ibn Talha. These three, they entered the Kaaba with him. ثُمَّ أُغْلِقَ الْبَابِ And then the door was closed and locked so that nobody else could come in the Kaaba. فَلَبِثَ فِيهِ سَعَةٌ Then he stayed inside the Kaaba for some time. Sa'ah doesn't mean an hour, meaning 60 minutes, but for some time. ثُمَّ خَرَجُوا And then they all came out. All four of them. قَالَ ibn Umar, Ibn Umar said, فَبَدَرْتُ So I quickly went, فَسَأَلْتُ بِلَالًا And I asked Bilal, فَقَالَ صَلَّى فِيهِ So he said, the Prophet ﷺ performed salah 
inside the Kaaba. فَقُلْتُ So I said, فِي أَيِّن In which, meaning in which direction? قَالَ He said, بَيْنَ الْأُسْطُوَانَتَيْنِ Between the two pillars. We have read this in detail earlier. قَالَ ابْنُ عُمَرْ Ibn Umar said, فَذَهَبَ عَلَيَّ Then it went from me. أَنْ أَسْأَلَهُ That I should ask him, كَمْ how much he prayed. Meaning I forgot to ask him, how much did he pray there? Did he pray two? Did he pray four? How much did he pray? But anyway, we see here that the Prophet ﷺ, he had the door opened, and when they went in, the door was closed. Why was the door closed? And why is it that these three people went with the Prophet ﷺ inside? The two companions, Bilal and Usama, because they constantly remained in the company of the Prophet ﷺ in order to help him. Right, for his khidmah. So this is the reason why they also went along with him. And Usman bin Talha, because he was the custodian, so he had the keys, he opened it, and the Prophet ﷺ took him along with him inside. Why was the door closed? Why do you think so? That if the door was left open, then many people would follow him inside, and then people would think that it is necessary to go inside the Kaaba. So this action of the Prophet ﷺ, remember that even... But the people over there, everybody did not find out. If you remember, we learned earlier that some companions, they differed with Ibn Umar, they did not allow praying inside the Kaaba. Why? Because they didn't see, they didn't know. So this shows that this incident was not even publicized. Because if it was made public, what would happen to Uthman bin Talha? Everybody would ask him to open the door of the Kaaba. And people would create a lot of difficulty for him. And after Uthman bin Talha, it was his descendants who kept the key of the Kaaba. Until today, it is within his family. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ said, that the key shall remain with his family until the Day of Judgment. Bab Dukhul al-Mushrik al-Masjid Dukhul, the entering of al-Mushrik, a mushrik person, al-Masjid into the Masjid. Can a mushrik enter a Masjid? What did we learn earlier? Yes, he can. Masjid doesn't mean Masjid al-Haram. Masjid al-Haram is a different case. But any other masjid, let's say in the city of Toronto, can they? Yes, they can. And the mushrik, who is he? Pagan, okay, idol worshipper. So whether it is someone who worships idols, basically mushrik is the one who does shirk. And shirk is of different kinds. So whatever kind of shirk. So you could say even non-Muslim, because even atheist, it's a kind of shirk. It's a little technical, but when you get there, it's a kind of shirk. Okay? So, Bab, Dukhul al Mushrik al Masjid, can they enter the Masjid? Yes, they can. Haddathana Qutaybatu, Kala Haddathana Laythu, and Sa'id ibn Abi Sa'id, and Nahu Samira, Aba Huraira, Yakulu, he said, Bartha Rasulullah, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a khayran, Qibala Najdin. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent some horsemen towards Najd, Fajaat birajulin, so the group of horsemen, they returned with a man, Min Bani Hanifa, from Bani Hanifa. يُقَالُ لَهُ سُمَامَةُ بْنُ أُثَالٍ His name was Sumama. فَرَبَطُوهُ So they tied him بِسَارِيَةٍ with a pillar min سَوَالِ masjid of the pillars of the masjid. We have read this hadith earlier in detail. باب رفع الصوت في المساجد Raising the voice in the mosque. Is it permissible to raise one's voice in the masjid? So if they did it, if they raise their voices, how come the Prophet ﷺ did not forbid them? It's disrespectful to the masjid. Okay, it's disrespectful towards the people who are in the masjid. There is difference of opinion concerning this. There are some ahadith that clearly show it is not allowed to raise your voice in the masjid. And other ahadith show that it is permissible. So it doesn't mean that there is contradiction in the deen. Rather, it means that in certain situations it is permissible and in other situations it is not permissible. So the scholars have differed with regards to this matter. 
inshallah, as we study the two ahadith, then we will see that it depends on the situation. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا يحيى بن سعيد قال حدثنا جعيد بن عبد الرحمن قال حدثني يزيد بن خصيفة عن السائب بن يزيد قال he said كنت قائما في المسجد he said I was standing in the masjid فحصبني رجل so a man threw rocks at me small pebbles not to hurt him but to draw his attention it depends on how it is done If the rocks are very, very small, and remember the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ was made of what? Bare ground, right? There was no carpet, nothing. So there were pebbles over there. Tiny pebbles, small pebbles. If somebody throws towards you in your direction, such that they don't hit you, and even if they do strike you, they don't hurt you, what's the reason? They want your attention. So, فَحَصَ بَنِي رَجُلٌ I mean, these days you just send a text message and that's it. So if you want to silently get somebody's attention, how would you do that? By throwing something towards them. Even these days, what do people do? They, they throw a piece of note or something towards someone. So it's clear. So, فَحَصَبَنِي رَجِلٌ فَنَظَرْتُ So I looked. فَإِذَا عُمَرُ بْنُ الْخَطَّابِ So it was Umar ibn al-Khattab رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ فَقَالَ So he said, اِذْهَبْ go, فَأْتِنِي And bring me بِهَذَيْنِ these two. Meaning, go bring me those two men. فَجِئْتُهُ بِهِمَا So I came to him with those two men. I brought those men to him. قَالَ He said, مَنْ أَنْتُمَا Who are you two? Who are you two men? أَوْ مِنْ أَيْنَ أَنْتُمَا Or he said, where are you two from? قَالَ They both replied, مِنْ أَهْلِ الطَّائِفِ From the people of Ta'if. Meaning we have come from Ta'if. قَالَ He said, لَوْ كُنْتُمَا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْبَلَدِ If you two were from this city, لَأَوْجَعْتُكُمَا Surely I would have punished you two. I would have punished you too. Tarfa'ani, you both are raising aswatakuma, your voices, fi masjidi Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, how dare you raise your voices? So he said, if you were from this city, then I would have punished you. But I'm sparing you just because you are from the people of Ta'if. Why did he spare them? Because they were from the people of Ta'if. Because they were visitors. They didn't know. Right? They didn't know. They were visitors. And the people of the city, they better know the rules. So outsiders, if they're ever breaking the rules, then what is necessary? We don't punish them, but we do inform them, we do let them know, but we should deal with them in a different manner. Okay. So for example, if there is a student in a white hijab, eating or drinking in the classroom, and a staff member comes and tells them that you're not allowed to eat or drink in the classroom, Now you have to do this and this and this, that's your punishment. Can they be given a punishment? Yes, they can be. But if there is a visitor, and they happen to bring in their coffee into the classroom, should they be treated with not harshness, but firmness or something like that? No. But they should be informed. So anyway, he spared them because they were outsiders. It is also said that he spared them because they were guests, they were visitors, they were travelers. Okay, And guests, they have to be treated with respect. And also perhaps because they were from the people of Ta'if. And the people of Ta'if, the Prophet ﷺ forgave them. So his companions also followed his example and he forgave them. حدثنا أحمد قال حدثنا ابن وهب قال أخبرني يونس بن يزيد عن ابن شهاب حدثني عبد الله بن كعب بن مالك أن كعب بن مالك أخبره أنه تقاضى ابن أبي حضرد دين الله عليه. We have read this hadith earlier. That Ka'b bin Malik, he demanded his loan from who? From Ibn Abi Hadrat. 
في عهد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في المسجد I will just read the hadith فارتفعت أصواتهما حتى سمعها رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو في بيته فخرج إليهما رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حتى كشف سجف حجرته ونادى يا كعب بن مالك يا كعب قال لبيك يا رسول الله فأشار بيده أنضع الشطر من دينك قال كعب قد فعلت يا رسول الله قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قم فقضه So both of these companions were arguing in the masjid raising their voices because one was demanding his money back from the other and the other had some reason or something because of which he was not returning the loan. So their voices raised. The Prophet ﷺ in his house removed the curtain and saw, called Ka'ab, what's happening? Ka'ab said, Labbaik. And then the Prophet ﷺ told him to forgive half of it. So he forgave him. And the Prophet ﷺ told the other companion, get up and pay him. But we see in this hadith that both of them, they were raising their voices. The Prophet ﷺ did not forbid them from raising their voices, did not punish them, did not scold them, nothing at all. Rather, he just solved their dispute. That's what he did. So this shows that when there is a reason, voices will be raised. Okay, They can be raised. However, this should not be generalized. Because we see that the fact that the Prophet ﷺ came towards them shows that he did not approve of those loud voices. Because if he approved of those loud voices, he would have ignored them. Correct? Think about it. If something's happening and you don't pay any attention to it, what does that mean? That it's okay. But if something's happening and you pay attention to it, you talk to those people, what does it mean? You don't approve of it. So we see that even though raising the voice is permissible in certain situations, a person must be careful still. How? That he should be respectful. There should be no foul language. I mean, the voice should not be extremely loud, such that people are literally yelling at each other at the top of their voices, and their voices can be heard very, very far away. That's not appropriate at all. But in other situations, voice has to be raised. For example, the, the khatib, if he's standing giving the khutbah, and there's a huge crowd of people, obviously he has to raise his voice. That's not disrespect. Imam, he's leading the people in prayer. There's lots of people behind him. Obviously he has to raise his voice so that everybody can hear him clearly. Likewise, there is a judge present in the masjid. An argument is taking place. So obviously, people will get upset with each other and voices will be raised. A person is teaching. Then again, the voice will be raised. But in all of these situations, respect should still be maintained. That, for example, if the khatib is giving the khutbah, he's raising his voice, he should not be yelling at the people and scolding them. The speech should still reflect humility. Just like that, Imam, he's reciting the Qur'an in salah, his loud recitation should show some kind of humility. Because you know, sometimes it's very, sometimes when Quran is being recited out loud, it doesn't reflect any humility. Because the manner is such. So remember, it can be loud, but with humility. Because one must realize that he is where? In a masjid. Okay, he is in the masjid. So respect has to be there. And remember that when it comes to the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, then over there, voices must be lowered. Why? Because the grave of the Prophet ﷺ is nearby. And what do we learn in the Qur'an? 
that raising the voice in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ is not permissible. Why? If a person does that, then what's the fear? Exactly, the deeds will be wasted. So lowering the voice in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ is something that is necessary. So when people go to visit the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, then this should be given attention. That when we speak loud, then you know we're not using our mind at that time. Because usually it happens when a person is angry or upset. So be careful. That the Prophet ﷺ, he drew the curtain of his house. He didn't really come out of his house. He just drew the curtain and he pulled it away and he called Karb anhu. Ya Karb. Ya Karb. Doesn't mean that he was really loud, but that he spoke to them. And it happens many times that when a person is yelling, really upset, you know, in that emotion, he doesn't realize what he's doing. And if an outsider comes and addresses him, then all of a sudden a person realizes, what am I doing? And if a person is yelling, and another comes and talks to them softly, then they realize, I'm yelling. That if children are yelling, or if anybody is yelling, you lower your voice, they will also lower their voice. Many times what we try to do is that if a child is screaming, we scream even louder than them. If somebody is yelling, we yell even louder. Even in, in a harsher tone and choice of words. Bab al-hilaqi wal-julusi fil-masjid. Circles, al-hilaq, from halaqa. What does halaqa mean? Circle. So, meaning people sitting in a circle. Wal-julus and sitting, meaning not necessarily in a circle, in a row or scattered throughout the masjid, fil-masjid. Is that permissible? Yes. Because in salah, yes, the saf has to be formed. Likewise, Jumu'ah khutbah, yes, people should be sitting in their rows. But otherwise, if it's not Jumu'ah khutbah, it's just a lecture, can people sit in a big circle around the speaker? Yes, they can. Or can people sit scattered in the hall, in the masjid? Yes, they can. But definitely, it's better to sit closer together. But if there's a reason to be spread out through the masjid, that is also permissible. And can people sit in the masjid for a reason other than salah? Yes, they can. Well, jalusif al-masjid. Meaning sitting in the mosque is permissible. It's not necessary to go to the masjid only for salah. You can also go and sit there for some other reason. حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا بشر بن المفضل عن عبيد الله عن نافع عن ابن عمر قال he said سأل رجل a man asked النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو على المنبر while he was on the minbar. He asked, مَا تَرَى What do you see? Meaning, what do you say about في صلاة الليل? About the night prayer. Meaning, how should it be performed? قال, he said, مَثْنَى مَثْنَى In two. In twos, in twos. Meaning, pray in sets of two rak'at. فَإِذَا خَشِيَ الصُّبْحَ Then when he fears the morning, that he thinks that that fajr is very, very near, then صَلَّى وَاحِدَةً Then he should pray one rak'at. فَأَوْتَرَتْ لَهُ مَا صَلَّى Then it will make odd for him whatever that he has prayed so far. So what do we learn from this? That the night prayer should be performed in two rakat sets. Okay? Two, two, two. How many? How many ever a person is able to? Well, we see that the way of the Prophet ﷺ was generally what? Eight. Eight, and then after that, the three with them. So eight in Ramadan and also outside Ramadan. So فَأَوْتَرَتْ لَهُ مَا صَلَّى وَإِنَّهُ كَانَ يَقُولُ And he used to say اِجْعَلُوا آخِرَ صَلَاتِكُمْ وِتْرًا Make the last of your prayer وِتْر Odd 
This is a discussion that that's taking place. The Prophet ﷺ is addressing the people. And obviously that man must be sitting there. Because if the Prophet ﷺ is on the mimbar, then where are the rest of the people? Standing? Sitting in rows? No. They must be sitting in some other way. Okay, Because it's not Jumu'ah Khutbah. Because of this, it shows that people may sit in any way that they want in the masjid. حدثنا أبو النعماني قال حدثنا حماد عن أيوب عن نافع عن ابن عمر أن رجلا جاء إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو يخطب A man came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم He was addressing the people فقال So he said كيف صلاة الليل How was the night prayer? How is supposed to be the night prayer? فقال So he said مثنى مثنى In pairs of two رقعت فإذا خشيت Then when you are afraid of الصبح The morning prayer meaning فجر That it's drawing near فأوتر بواحدة then make odd with one raka'ah. It will make odd for you ma qad sallayta, whatever that you have prayed thus far. Qala al-walid ibn kathirin haddathani ubaidullah ibn abdullah anna ibn umara haddathahum anna rajulan nada al-nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa huwa fil masjid. In another narration, the man, he called out to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So if he called out, this means that he was sitting far. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the mimba and this man sitting far from the mimba. So it's permissible that people may sit in whatever way that they want in the masjid. Haddathna Abdullah ibn Yusuf qala akhbarana Malik an Ishaq ibn Abdullah ibn Abi Talhata anna Aba Murrata mawla Aqil ibn Abi Talib akhbarahu an Abi Waqid al-Laythi qala he said baynama Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi al-masjid once when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in the masjid faqbala thalathatu nafarin three men came faqbala so he came forward, who ithnani ila Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Two came, wa dhahaba wahidun, and one went. Two of them, they came forward, and one of them, he just went from the door. Why? We'll learn. فَأَمَّا أَحَدُهُمَا So from the two men who did come inside, one of them, فَرَآ فُرْجَةً He saw a gap. فَجَلَسَ So he sat in that gap. وَأَمَّا الْآخَرْ And as for the other, the second, فَجَلَسَ خَلْفَهُمْ So he sat behind them. Behind who? The people. فَلَمَّا فَرَغَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ When the Prophet ﷺ was done, قَالَ He said, أَلَا أُخْبِرُكُمْ Shall I not tell you عَنِ الثَّلَاثَةِ About the three? أَمَّا أَحَدُهُمْ As for one of them, فَأَوَى إِلَى اللَّهِ فَأَوَاهُ اللَّهِ He took shelter with Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him in. Meaning he came forward and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala welcomed him, accepted him. Meaning he took the initiative, came forward, looked for a spot, Allah provided him a spot in that majlis. As for the other, he was shy. Fastahya, he was shy. Fastahya Allahu minhu. So Allah was also shy from him. Meaning he didn't come forward, look for a spot. He was shy. He stayed back. So he didn't find a spot. He just sat behind the rest of the people. And as for the other, meaning the third one, فَأَعْرَضَ He turned away. He didn't even come inside. فَأَعْرَضَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ So Allah also turned away from him. We have learned this hadith earlier. And this shows to us that how important it is to seek khair. 
You know, sometimes you say, in my heart, I really, really want to do something good. Well, goodness is not going to drop in front of you. You have to go do something and seek it. When you will seek it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to you. And the more you will seek it, the more Allah will provide you. Right? If a person comes into a classroom, is looking for a spot towards the front, will they find a spot in the front? Will they? Yes, they will. It doesn't matter what kind of majlis it is. Believe me. Even if it's fully packed, you will find a spot towards the front. You know, like, for example, if a person wants to pray in the first row, then what will they do? They will come early and if they make that their habit, and if, let's say, once or twice they do get late, they don't find a spot, I mean, the rows are filled, they will still go towards the front. And as they will go towards the front, people will see them and they'll say, yes, you always stand in the front, come stand next to me. Come stand next to me, I will make space for you. I've heard many stories like that. Many stories like that. So, when you want something, you're determined to get it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide that for you as well. But when you're shy, then Allah is also shy with you. But that was good shyness. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was also very generous in the way that the reward for five is equal to fifty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives opportunities as well. Yeah, as long as you don't disturb the people, and even if you do go through the people, be very, very careful. That it happens sometimes that the row before you, there is a gap. So you go fill that up. And then you see a gap at the row before you. So you keep going forward and forward until you reach the first row. Yes, people are shy to fill in gaps. So who will get to the first row? The person who comes forward. This happens inside the masjid. This happens at the parking lot as well. That you will find the best parking spot even. So this hadith shows to us that if you see a gap, then you should fill it in the masjid. And if you don't see a gap, then you should. What should you do? If you see that there is room for a spot to be made, then you can ask people to make room for you. Because you don't want to deprive yourself of that reward. And if you see that, no, it's not possible at all. It's completely packed. Then you sit wherever it is possible for you. And we see here that the people were sitting in a gathering with the Prophet ﷺ in the masjid. This was also a circle. How you go towards Allah, Allah will respond to you in that way. I am as my servant, thinks I am. You take a step towards Allah, Allah will take ten steps towards you. Bab al-istilqa'i fil-masjidi wa maddi rijli Al-istilqa'i Istilqa'i is to lie down on one's back, so basically straight on the back, in such a way that the legs are, one foot is on the knee of the other leg. You understand? So a person is lying down flat on their back, okay? And let's say their right foot is where? Placed on the left knee. So a person is lying down like that. Can a person lie down in this manner in the masjid? Yes, they can. And stretching out legs. So for example, a person is in a masjid, let's say for a class. They're still in a masjid. Even though they're sitting there for learning purposes, it's still a masjid. And they find it difficult to sit with their legs folded for a long period of time. Can they stretch their legs out? Yes, they can. Is it disrespectful? No, it's not. I mean, obviously a person has to see that their feet should not be hurting anybody. You have to see, is it appropriate to do what you're doing given where you are, who is around? Is it appropriate? But when it comes to halal haram, we see that it is permissible. 
حدثنا عبد الله بن مسلمة عن مالك عن ابن شهاب عن عباد بن تميم عن عمه أنه رأى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that he saw the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم مستلقيا في المسجد lying down on his back in the masjid واضعاً placing إحدى رجليه one of his feet على الأخرى on the other meaning his foot was on the other leg وعن ابن شهاب عن سعيد بن المسيم قال كان عمر وعثمان يفعلان ذلك He said even Umar and Uthman used to do that. So what does it show? That a person can lie down, they can recline in the masjid. But obviously, one should be careful about the position because in other narrations we learn that the Prophet ﷺ forbade people lying down in such a way that their private parts would be exposed because given that the clothing at that time was such. So a person must be careful about that. And they should also not lie down in a position that other people will feel awkward. That how are they lying down in the middle of the masjid? So a person must be careful. But we see that lying down in general in the masjid is permissible. And it also shows the humility of the Prophet ﷺ and these two companions. That imagine Imam of the Ummah, Prophet of Allah, is lying down on the floor of the masjid. Lying down on the floor of the masjid. We feel shy of even sitting on the floor. Imagine he was lying down on the floor. باب المسجد يكون في الطريق من غير ضرر بالناس المسجد, having a masjid, يكون, it is, meaning it is built, where في الطريق, in a pathway, a thoroughfare, okay, a walkway, من غير ضرر بالناس, as long as the people are not hurt because of it. So, a masjid may be built in a thoroughfare, meaning in a place where people go back and forth a lot. Okay, There is high traffic. People are going back and forth frequently. A masjid may be built over there. However, people should not be hurt because of that. If the people are harmed because of that masjid, then that masjid should not be there. It should be removed. Or first of all, it should not be built over there. Or that place should not be designated for prayer. For example, if there is a masjid and at the back of it or in the middle of it there is the main door of the masjid from where let's say hundreds of children have to go in and out like over here. Is it permissible to have the masjid right there? Yes, it is. It's Obviously, this doesn't mean in the middle of the way but that right by that place it is permissible. But if it was in the middle of the way of the people, then obviously it would harm them. It would bother them. Because their way is being blocked. Because then, then they're told, no, it's time for Asa Salah. So you can't come back and forth. People who are stuck inside are stuck. People who are outside are stuck outside. No going in and out. It would cause annoyance to the people. It would create difficulty for them. So as long as the masjid does not create difficulty for the people, it may be built or a place may be designated for salah in such a place. وَبِهِ قَالَ الْحَسَنُ وَأَيُّوبُ وَمَالِكُ Al-Hasan, Ayyub and Malik all said this. Meaning this was also their opinion. So for example, a side road or right by a road from where there is heavy traffic going back and forth. Is it permissible to have a masjid over there? Yes. But if the parking is creating a lot of problem for the residents, then in that case, Something has to be done because it's not fair to the people who are living around that masjid. Because think about it, if that masjid is in a very busy place, 
And there are hundreds of people coming to pray over there and they're parking all over the road, all over the street for more than three hours or however much time limit that you have. And sometimes they're parking right in front of people's driveways, blocking the traffic in this way, blocking people inside their houses in this way. Then something has to be done. Either parking spots should be provided or a limit should be set. Meaning that the people of the masjid have to be careful about who? About who? Their surroundings. Because they're not the only ones in the world. We might think, but we are coming to study the Qur'an. We are coming for our Eid Salah. We are coming for Taraweeh. We are coming for Ramadan programs. But if you are bothering your neighbors, then that is not correct. All over the world, right? this is a common problem that Muslims suffer from. Masjid parking problems. Isn't it? And we see that where people are proactive, there, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also given them ease. And where people are careful, there is ease. But when people are careless, you know, once I went to this city nearby, and there was a huge masjid, a lot of parking, and also an Islamic school with that masjid. And right next to that masjid was also a big building. And they had a lot of parking. And the lady who with whom I went, she said that, when we first got this masjid, we had really, really good relations with our neighbor. They used to allow us to use their parking for Jumu'ah, for Eid, for any of our major events, we were allowed to use their parking on very good terms. Until one day, some of the boys who came for Irtikaf, they went and they basically vandalized over there, did something on their property, and from that day onwards, they do not allow their parking to be used at all. These are boys who are coming for what? Irtikaf. And because of them, look at what happened. The whole Muslim community is now suffering. So, a masjid can be built anywhere, but you have to be careful about your surroundings. And if a masjid is already built in a place like that, and there's heavy traffic, then you have to be careful. You cannot go and park in other people's private properties. And many times it happens that Islamic institutes, schools, masajid, their neighbors are constantly complaining, calling the police because their properties are being used without their permission. You know, if somebody is parked in your driveway or right in front of your driveway or blocking your driveway even a little bit, that is very annoying. It doesn't matter what you came for. It doesn't matter who you are. What you did is wrong. So imagine in the middle of the night, doorbells, right? The children are going and ringing them because the children are left unattended. Because many times, unfortunately, people are reminded, they're told, they're given warnings, but they still don't take heed. And also we have to be careful about how we park in the parking lot. Because sometimes people leave their cars in the driveway. And how dangerous that can be. Remember Sister Shayla presented a whole uh, presentation in the weekend class that this can be very, very serious. That if somebody needs emergency care and you know, an ambulance is not able to come in, they're blocked. It's it's just a matter of a few minutes sometimes, right? A person could lose their life or they could survive. But because of our poor parking, somebody is dying or somebody's health is in serious risk, I mean, that's our fault. That our intention can be really good, our action can be really good, but if our other actions leading up to that good action are bad, then what are we presenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The main goal is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and and for that, all of your actions have to coincide with one another. It can't be that you're praying 
long qiyam, making dua, crying before Allah, and outside somebody's cursing you because you blocked their car. How? How is that possible? How can you earn Allah's mercy if other human beings are suffering because of you? So this is something very, very serious. Anyway, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.